Hello, hello, fam-a-lam, and welcome to today's episode, our second episode of Ceremony Circle for 2023. I am your host, Shaman, and the author of the best-selling animal power book and deck, Allison Charles Story. And you might want to buckle in for this one because we are joined by the author of the number one New York Times best-selling book, How to Do the Work, Dr. Nicole LaPera. She was trained in clinical psychology at Cornell University, the New School for Social Research, and the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis. But you probably know her as the holistic psychologist on Instagram, as she has amassed over 5 million folks just in that community there alone. And in today's Ceremony Circle podcast voyage, Dr. Nicole came to our home here in Austin, Texas. We dive into many topics that I am super, super passionate about, including one that's encompassed in the title of her brand new book, and that is How to Meet Yourself. And today's episode is one of those that takes on a very shamanic journey type feel, including a super trippy moment of deja vu that we both felt. We cover a ton of intriguing topics like why I feel letting our human self be human just might be the biggest key to experiencing our greatest levels of personal spiritual enlightenment. I asked Nicole why she feels meeting yourself is the most important thing to do in life and how she's managed to make topics that most people don't view as fun so wildly popular. She also shares what happens when people don't meet themselves and what might have happened to her had she not decided to meet herself in life. And the first step you can take right now if you feel the pull to lean into meeting yourself more. We also get into the difference between compassion and accountability. This is another topic I get super lit up on and why I feel there has been an epidemic of untended to pain body and projections how to healthily deal with triggers and how to create nervous system resets for yourself, how to create a plan for yourself to experience things differently when you feel stressed out. And of course, with this episode, it made sense to dive into your listener questions. So we cover things like, what are your tips for moving through trauma with grace? And what are your tips on setting boundaries with narcissistic family members? And for our closing ceremony circle practice, Dr. Nicole leads us through an empowering guided journey that lets you safely meet more of yourself while also letting your soul drop more into your body. Ah, yes. So here we go, fam. Thank you so much for sitting with me today in Mastering Self-Understanding to Transform Your Inner and Outer Worlds with the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole LaPera. Ah, so... How to meet yourself <laughs> is this is a topic that gets me perhaps the most excited out of all topics in these infinite worlds that we live in, facing oneself, living in devotion and commitment to meeting yourself and facing yourself is maybe my favorite thing to talk about. So thanks for writing a whole book on it. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. I'm so happy it's of interest. I think for us humans, it's one of the complex yet simple <laughs> yet complex aspects of, I think, our journey here, the self. I, I cannot think of more important work 
that can be done. And I really wanted to start at this nucleus because, you know, it's in the willingness to face yourself, all aspects of yourself that, in my opinion, you know, really devoting to that and, and staying in that work for our whole lifetime is what creates true liberation for ourselves. And that true liberation is what opens up liberation for all other living beings and for this world and the unseen worlds. And it's so important. Why do you feel that meeting yourself is potentially, you agree that it's the most important thing, or at least important enough that you dedicated an entire book to it? Why is it so important? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, to speak to your your very beautiful points, it's not in my opinion and until we meet ourselves that we can truly show up in connection to anyone, anything outside of us in service of anyone and anything outside of us. And I'm saying this very intentionally even to begin our conversation, because I do hear often in society and culture, this really deep rooted belief that tending to oneself, putting attention on oneself, making decisions in alignment with oneself and our own inner desires, best interest is often been labeled as selfish, as narcissistic, as self-centered, egotistical. And I mean, to speak to the point, the reason why I devoted now an entire workbook after writing my first narrative book, How to Do the Work, Now How to Meet Yourself, it's because in my opinion, we can't serve the world around us if we're not a attuned, connected, whole individual ourself. And I know a lot of us who've gotten that messaging of that idea of selfishness and who have showed up in service of, or what we think is in service of those around us, though ultimately we're compromising ourselves, we're adapting, we're modifying, we're reacting to the world in all of these habitual ways. And even the way you beautifully began our time together, taking a moment for us, Allison, to drop into ourself. It's a reminder to me, here I am in service of sharing these ideas and without that moment, which I, my habit self, as I talk about in the workbook, is so quick mm. to focus more on achievement. Okay, I'm here to perform. Mm. I'm here to share all of my mm. ideas with, with you and with everyone out here listening. And it's so easy for me to even overstep that moment of time for me because I'm the vessel for this idea, this communication. And if I'm not grounded, as you suggested, we take the very beautiful moment together to ground before we began this conversation. I think that's a very lived experience of how easy it is for me and many others to mm. just squash ourselves, our needs down and to show up in service. Hmm. Thank you for your honesty. I had a good sense that you would be one that would not have any problems being vulnerable, transparent, honest in today's <laughs> talk. So thank you for right out of the gate, getting <laughs> us going in that trajectory. And I want to stay in those energetics because I don't know your backstory much, but I wanted to hear from you if I assume you had some sort of an awakening or many awakenings along the way, like myself, and had you not had that awakening and had you not started to devote to facing yourself, where do you think you might be? What might your life look like right now? Honestly, Allison, it's, it's really hard to imagine where I would be at this point because where my journey began for me was in my late twenties at a, a, a moment in time where at that point I had checked a lot of the boxes that I was driven to achieve throughout my life. And for me, that was becoming a clinical psychologist, opening up what at that point became a very quick, successful practice in the city. I was very much a city girl at heart, born and raised in Philadelphia, returned to Philadelphia to set up my life. My practice was in a relationship, had a very active social life, yet 
day in and day out, I kept finding myself very stuck, very unfulfilled and really very disconnected from that, that life around me. And I started to actually have some pretty scary physical symptoms, Mm. really just lacking overall energy. I think living for the weekend, like a lot of us live, drinking a lot, eating a lot to, I think, just keep myself going, pushing myself beyond my limits. And what ended up actually happening was I started to faint out of seemingly nowhere. And at that time, seeing a lot of the same patterns and stuck points really in myself and in all of the people, the clients that I was working with in that practice, I I really first sought to understand, A, what was physically possibly wrong with me having this new symptom that was really scary, and and B, why I was so underfulfilled for so long. And what I came to understand is how disconnected I was living was such a testament to my childhood, to the Mm. lack of emotional connection, to all of these adaptations that I believe for a lot of us are validated in the world around us that does remove ourselves from the, the equation entirely. And what I understood was the wholeness of our human vehicle coming through a a training, a school system really that highlighted the mind. I'm very much a proponent of the power of our mind, our beliefs, all of the mental, you know, hardware that our brain allows us to have. But I also now am very aware of the body that we're living in, the nervous Mm -hmm. system and dysregulation and trauma that many of us are carrying from our past experiences and are really limiting our ability to connect with that deeper aspect of ourself, whether or not you like the word, I imagine your community is very comfortable with the word like soul essence, all of it, bring it on. I know for a lot of us, (laughs) that's no space that we even, you know, can relate to. And I was that, that person lacking the scientific evidence, lacking the moments where I even felt safe enough Mm -hmm. to attune to what I wanted, what I needed. I largely believed I, I was, I was a soulless being. I was Mm -hmm. very much the automaton, the Mm -hmm. robot Mm -hmm. that so many of us were living. So by proxy of all of that really First, learning some new information about our human system and then really beginning to apply that information to translate it into daily tools really helped me embody the wholeness of our Mm. being. And now it's really created a passion in myself to have these conversations with people, knowing that a lot of people are feeling very similar, living in a very habited, dysregulated way because of past experiences because of current environmental context that we're living in, regardless of where we're living, there's a universal, I think, truth in this matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's coming to me were a few things. One, just taking a second to honor and thank our incredible intelligence of our physical Mm -hmm. vessels, these magnificent bodies that work like hell to get our attention, to try to communicate to us in so many different ways. I was similar. I was, you know, before my divine intervention, spiritual awakening, I was having panic disorders. Mm -hmm. I was actually on medication for a while, autoimmune disorders. There are all sorts of things going on where my body was clamoring to get my attention to say, this is off kilter. You're getting way far off track. So thank you to our physical bodies. And I also found it interesting that one of the ways it expressed for you was the fainting, like kind of dipping in and out of consciousness, Mm -hmm. you know, that specific kind of energetic at play for you. And so is it safe to say your awakening was a bit more like layer by layer gradual as opposed to like mine, where it was like one moment, one day, my life changed. Absolutely. And to speak to to your point in terms of even dipping in and out of consciousness, it was so gradual that without the language to even understand any of this, not really even having the nervous system highlighted in my clinical training. I didn't have the ability or the awareness to see 
that my disconnection actually began, as far as I'm concerned, possibly even in in the uterus of, mm. of my mom, who was under chronic stress herself, who was suffering from many chronic illnesses herself, who was dysregulated because of her own past trauma, didn't create a safe, literal environment mm. that I believe one of the adaptations that our nervous system, our beautiful, wise body will offer us is it will kind of take us out of the state of consciousness where there's pain. So yes. through the action of dissociating is is what the language is in terms of our nervous system response. I began that state of disconnection from childhood, gradually distancing myself from all of the overwhelming feelings that I didn't have that attuned caregiver to help me regulate because our nervous system in infancy and childhood, we are dependent on that act of co-regulation with another. So when that person's absent, even without having those big cataclysmic moments, I think often we talk about those in terms of our awakening. And we also talk about those in terms of how we historically have at least defined trauma, not having huge moments of active abuse or what I was even defining as neglect. I didn't have sense to make of why I was always feeling so disconnected, of why probably around my teenage years when I started to have friends and spend a lot more time with my friends and they would be sharing stories of their childhood and memories and really, again, at that point, coming to my awareness how much limited memories Mm. I even carried from childhood. Again, for a while, I thought it was something wrong with my brain structurally. I didn't have the language to understand it was my nervous system creating that disconnection out of safety. And the ultimate gesture, if you will, when my body actually was like, no, Nicole, stop, listen, was that moment or couple moments, actually, I think I fainted two or three times of completely losing consciousness. Mm. So while in the moment it felt groundbreaking, oh my gosh, what the heck is happening to me? This is seemingly out of nowhere. I think to speak to your point, the mm. reality of it, Allison, yes. was it, it was gradually yes. accumulating over time the whole until my life, you know, until the final moment. And it's not lost on me, the irony that the first time I actually ever fainted, I was visiting a friend from childhood who we had lost mm. contact for quite a bit of years. And we resumed contact and she invited me over to show me her new place. And we were out, she was touring me in the, on the grounds of her local apartment complex that she was newly living. And in that moment out of nowhere, I fainted. So interesting to even peel back all the complexity of being with a childhood friend, reliving possibly all of that childhood overwhelm. And that becomes the moment in time where I Huh, and, consciousness. <laughs> and I could be wrong, but the thing that flashed in for me, it, it felt like both reliving the childhood overwhelm, but then a part of you, perhaps, because I always like to caveat that I can always be wrong with what I'm tuning into and picking up on, but part of you also feeling safe enough in presence of a childhood friend to allow your mm-hmm. system to communicate to you to that degree. Right. That's intriguing. So interesting too, just to add another complexity to this is that childhood friend was training in EMT. So there was, I think, oh, a safety, safety in terms That's... of waking up to having her. Yes. Has, it's just giving a little bit more of my background. Coming from a family of very active chronic illness, health-related issues, health anxiety was mm. one of my go-to places when my mind would start to spin on all. So having that friend, knowing that I was in quote-unquote safe hands yes. in that moment was very relieving. Oof, I feel <laughs> the full, what I call the divine tingles. Right. Yes. We are speaking safe. truth. <laughs> Say, oh, it's so thank you for affirming that because, yeah, that that's beautiful. So now what I'm seeing mm. is, okay, just in this 10 minutes that we've been diving in 
so many examples, so many layers, so many realms, so many threads of possibilities of doing the work of facing yourself. And I, when I was tuning in this week to potential flow of of conversation and questions, I wanted to ask you one thing I was just personally intrigued by is your ability, you know, your first book was how to do the work. This one, this workbook is called how to meet yourself. Now, I teach a lot of similar things from a shamanic perspective, from a spiritual perspective, been doing it similar to you for many, many years. And what I find intriguing about you is that you've been able to take these massive, potentially most massive topics and subject matters that most would not label as fun, yet... (laughs) You've managed to make it so accessible. You've managed to bring to you millions of people in your community. How do you think you've allowed so many people to get excited or passionate about, or at least the very least willing to lean in and have interest in doing the work (laughs) and meeting yourself? Because in my journey, there are those brave souls And I have so many people message me like, thank you for putting out that shamanic journey. I was able to do shadow work or able to meet this and this and that. But it's not the overwhelming majority who get excited about and want to lean in. How have you cultivated so many to want to do this tough stuff? (laughs) I think before we get to the point where we can feel excited or, or fun or enjoying anything, I think it really has to begin with becoming curious or understanding, even if we want to take a step before even curiosity having the language to understand some of these concepts and very much a lot of what I talk about, I've read, you know, through the ages of wisdom passed down in many a different book written by many a different person from many a different, you know, professional avenue, whatever it might be. And I kept finding myself lost in thought about concepts that are, you know, very thought-based, big ideas. And what I kept finding was lacking was the practical, the applying or the example of this Mm. concept in lived action so that we can understand what it means in a more real way for us. I think, or I know all of our human brains are always seeking to understand everything that's happening to us or around us, always trying to make meaning of things. And for a lot of us, if we don't have that personal way to apply the concept or to understand it or to, you know, kind of run it through our own filter of lived experience, it does remain as that urethral, you know, th- something I've really maybe nice idea even I've read about in a book, mm. but I'm missing that bridge of there's a gap of action. And mm. I felt that myself and something I've always attempted to do when I was working, when I used to do one-on-one work with clients as well in that practice. I was always trying to offer the translation, offer the example. What I wasn't able or did not feel fully able to offer was my own lived experience Mm. part of the journey. And that, in my opinion, is the most valuable, right, kind of arsenal of information we have. And one of the major things that I was taught in my clinical training was to remove myself, my story, my lived experience from the room and to solely focus on that client. So... I found myself being actually directly told not to give that type of example. Mm. And it wasn't until I, again, really pulled back, really saw the value myself in narrating and sharing our journey. At that point, I'd saw all the different ways I filtered my own truth to Mm -hmm. make life or what I imagined myself more palpable 
for those around me. So really it began as a, a function of my own healing, learning how to speak the truth, learning how to teach by my own example and really highlighting or emphasizing that bridge. And when I began the yes. Instagram account, um, I had no anticipation of how many others would be interested in hearing my story, would be able to even relate to my story or my communication of these concepts in my particular way. And mm -hmm. really quickly, it was evident to me and it was affirmed to me how universally resonant. Now I was hearing from people all around the world who were understanding things in the same way, able to resonate or relate to the language mm. and the tools that I was using. And again, being able to apply that bridge and create God, change in their life. This is so good. I love this little amoeba dance <laughs> that we're, we're in together because that description, and thank you for that, is guiding me. And I haven't really put words to this, but I know I can do it. So just bear with me. But recently it's been landing within me in a much more concrete way how there's a bit of irony in that the more I feel we can allow ourselves to accept our humanness and to just, yeah, like have, have a gentle, loving, not judgmental awareness that we're all human. I call this thing earth school. You know, we're here <laughs> to evolve and learn and be curious and lean into and sniff into what is, how does this feel? And how does this feel within me? And how is that, you know, portraying in the outside world and, and all, all of these examinations. And it's when we can accept and embrace and lean into the totality of our humanness that coupled with this is where the bravery and courage comes in our willingness and ability to commit to facing ourselves meeting ourselves where we can take accountability take responsibility and trust ourselves to do the work it's those two dynamics that then allow us to become enlightened and, you know, get into unification with our spiritual infinite powers and our, the, the shamanic abilities inside all of us. And, and so I just, I find it interesting that the gateway to, you know, enlightenment and connection to those spiritual realms, it's through finally just accepting and being willing to, to be like, I am such a human. I do, I do cringy things <laughs> occasionally, and I'm also fucking brave, and I'm willing to look at the cringe face things that I do and take responsibility, and I trust myself to put in the work to alchemize, ascend, and transmute. And I've just been really sitting in that. And I don't know if you want to speak to that or if anything bubbled up inside of you when I was speaking. To yeah, that. absolutely. I mean, there's so much, you know, beauty in, in what you're describing. And I think that the true reality of it is returning, right, back to that yes. space. I will always locate, you know, that space of compassion, of understanding, of curiosity, of imagination, of creation in our, in our heart and what happens. And as early on, in my opinion, as in utero, we then become impacted by the environment around us. We become a communication, a merger of this internal essence. And then these experiences that whether or not you believe we signed up for them before we've come here or not, but that have become then our existence. And the more comfortable, confident we feel in sharing our journey, you said something really powerful. And 
going out there, you know, hearing the reflection of ourselves, seeing the living, the consequences of our actions and of our choices, and then being able to drop back in. And you said, I think you use the word sniff around and yeah. see how this feels for us. And that really struck me because I think what, and I, I go back and forth with this a lot with this idea of really dropping in and developing that internal roadmap, confidence, guidance, mm-hmm. intuition, and learning how to be confident in that space. And that's the goal, I believe, of Earth School, of our human journey is learning how to sit in observance of, to hear from the outside yes. world, to receive feedbacks from the outside world, including other humans, and then to have that safe home space to try it on or sniff around it ourselves. And what I find is largely lacking and often does then result in conversations about protecting the outside world, about monitoring what we're saying to people in fear of what will they do with this information. And Mm, I think that comes from a lot of us who've, because of our conditioning, have outsourced, have relied so much on what other people, and I was one of those people, not having my own safe space to sniff around, to have confidence in, I pretty much defer to whether it was my family, my mom, my parents, my loved ones, or experts in the field, books I read, I looked outside of myself for those answers. And I don't believe the solution is to put more boundaries up around the outside world. I think the solution is developing that confidence and that space within ourselves Mm -hmm. to drop in so that we can go about life, view, witness the feedback that we're getting and still remain in control or in choice of what makes sense for us. Because that's the only way, in my opinion, we allow our difference, the beauty that makes us able to join together in the collective that is humanity. That's the only way we're going to be able to keep those differences intact because they're so incredibly valuable as far as I'm concerned. Oh my gosh. I couldn't agree more. And the last little button I'll put on it is, you know, in my examination of exactly what we're talking about, it came to me that this concoction, this recipe that we're sharing together right now is what allows one to become, I don't even know if this is a word, but I've been using it, unvilifiable. And it releases Mm -hmm. shame's hold on you because you have accepted and understand with unconditional love and non-judgment, okay, I'm human, I'm probably going to do cringy things. But again, right alongside with that is your complete devotion and willingness to look at Mm -hmm. and do the work needed around those things when you do trip up. And that clears shame, right? It's hard to explain, but that's just the one last little thing that I wanted to put on. And then I wanted to get your take on this. And again, these are like some bigger concepts that I haven't dropped in with someone about. So I'm putting words to them for the first time. But my thing is, you know, people are like, let's have compassion. You know, when people act out, when they're in their pain body and projecting, when there's these destructive behaviors, let's be compassionate because we all have trauma and we've all gone through things. And so let's be compassionate. And my thing is, (laughs) I... I can be compassionate. I am a very compassionate, loving person. I have strong capacities of empathy. And I just don't accept that 
that is enough. It's like, I feel this fire and this passion to hold more people accountable. It's like, yes, okay, this person's acting out because they have unresolved trauma. I can have compassion for that. And that behavior that they're exhibiting is also not fucking okay. And so I wanted to get your, your take because it could just be, you know, everything's got this beautiful divine design to it, right? This whole big picture and we're all playing our roles and we're all in this big dynamic dance together in this earth thing, this earth walk. And perhaps I feel that fire and it's just my take on that because that's the medicine that I'm bringing to the earth and that's the medicine I'm bringing to this dance. And this person wants to hold more of the, you just need to be compassionate because that's the medicine they're bringing. But what, what is your take on that? Because I just feel like lately, especially, there is just this epidemic of pain body spewing unlike anything I've ever seen before And it's not okay to let people act out in these ways. That's how I feel. How do you feel? I want to, I think, offer what I think can be a really helpful distinction for people because sometimes I think we merge the idea of compassion with what I'll call enabling yes, or allowing. And as someone who very much the way you're describing yourself, Allison, I've always kind of resonated with being overly empathetic, compassionate to the point where I could even pull back in a moment where I'm feeling hurt and see the hurt in someone else that's causing right them to shame me in whatever way that they're shaming me or react explosively or stop speaking to me, whatever it is for them that they do when they're feeling shameful. I could historically at least have understood it to the extent that I kept showing up. Mm -hmm. I didn't modify. I didn't modify my behavior, my action in any way. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I was enabling that behavior to continue Mm -hmm. by not drawing a limit and a line and being able to hold space for both. I can compassionately understand, even empathize, feel the pain that you're in when you're screaming, whatever it is you're screaming or treating me, how you're treating me. And at the same time, I don't have to allow it by continuing to show up in the dynamic the exact same way as I once did. Right. What happens at the end of years of doing that, and whether it's a particular relationship or all of your relationships, as I found in myself, is over time before long, what typically happens is we get resentful of the other person. We point the finger, right, at this person who's continuing to show up in this way that's violating, that's abusive, and we don't look at the role we were playing in not setting a limit and not creating space and not separating ourselves or whatever else that might be warranted. So I think the discussion really is about separating compassion, which I believe is a heart-based feeling that when we are centered, grounded in that loving space of who we truly are, when we're not activated, when we're not reactive or feeling threatened from how they're behaving, we have the opportunity to hold that compassionate space of understanding, though sometimes the place or the safety we need to get into that calm grounded space means distance, Mm -hmm. means separation, means not picking up the phone call or limiting our engagement with that person who continues to overstep our boundary or to violate. So sometimes the most compassionate gift we can give Mm -hmm. ourselves and this other human is by not enabling, by taking responsibility for the reality, very difficult, I think, in this human school for most of us to live into this reality, but that is We can only control ourselves, And the best control we can have sometimes is 
energetic, remaining in that safety, remaining that person who might now change the dynamic, be a little more distance. That will possibly be the consequence. This person then might suffer to change their behavior. It's not going to be pointing fingers. I think like a lot of us attempt when we're trying to make someone see or take responsibility or change their behavior. It's often those indirect that separation, that distance. And if enough people in this person's life begin to create safety for themselves, which might mean distance from their whatever behavior, explosive, problematic, violating behavior it is, then that individual's consequences might be enough to create change for themselves. Because Mm -hmm. that, in my opinion, is the only way that we can begin to make the new choices that are needed for change and to sustain those new choices. Mm -hmm. We can wish someone... We can have an experience with someone who's very violating and hurtful and desperately need them to change, but it's not going to be us shaking them. It might be us creating distance, creating space, creating safety for ourselves that they then might change somewhere down the line. Yeah, I really resonate deeply with that. And there's been a number of times, whether it's people that I've never met and don't know, and it's through social media where, you know, as a medicine woman, I've come to accept that, you know, and it's been a real real journey for me, but the power and divinity that I embody and I have chosen to devote relentlessly and infinitely to, it it can cause myriad of reactions and people can run, run the whole gamut. And what I have found is that, yeah, I get very clear the times where I just need to remain in my peace and power. And it's taken me years of, of refinement and fine tuning to, to get here and letting them do what I call sit in their own stuff, you know, by me not engaging. Cause oftentimes too, when people's pain bodies are activated and they're in that space, the chances of you in a healthy way, <laughs> reaching and having a healthy discourse with that person is pretty slim to none I have found. And so, yeah, creating that gap, uh, maintaining a healthy boundary for myself and letting them sit in the energetics that they're in and that they're attempting to create, I find is the most powerful thing I can do a lot. Yeah. And actually in terms of the neurology, when we're in pain body, trauma body, as I call it, when our nervous system is reactive to whatever it is, whatever threat that we're perceiving, we actually do lose access to that very logical, grounded, forward thinking who can even find or figure a solution that's different from that repeated solution of our past. We lose access to all of that. Mm. So all of us that I do believe carry a lot of shame for how we react in those moments because we say things to ourselves like, I should have known better. And likely we do have that knowing in that part of our brain that then shuts down. So Mm -hmm. another big reason why I kept seeing in those clients I used to work with an inability to cross that bridge to translate these concepts into action because the time of the moment when they were activated, when they really needed to do something or show up differently by creating space, by doing some breathing to calm themselves down, they've actually already lost access to that part of their brain, which is why it's so incredibly important to A, rebuild the connection with our body and our nervous system that's speaking to us every moment of every day so that then we can 
learn how to regulate ourselves, maintain in that conscious state of awareness. So the next moment I do feel myself beginning to lose control, I can still retain access. So to speak to your point, when we're on the other side of someone in a full-blown nervous system trauma reaction or in their pain body, we could, until we're blue in the face, Mm -hmm. be talking calmly, groundedly, logically, and they're completely shut down to us. So to speak to that point, time and space actually is of great necessity anytime one or two partners or whoever, how many people are in the group are dysregulated. It's never going to be productive to have a conversation until there's that calm and that access back to that mm. part of the brain. Uh-huh. And this is a little bit of a jump tangent, but it just keeps coming to me. And it's something that came to me while I was sleeping. And I just wanted to get your personal advice on it. Releasing resentments. Somehow in this part of the discussion, you you said the word resentment and it triggered that that thought that I wanted to get your advice. I guess it might depend on the scenario, the situation, the dynamics at play, but is there a one or two steps that people can begin to take if they're noticing some building up resentment energy in between themselves and someone that they really care about and they really want to alchemize or disintegrate that? How can one begin to release resentment? Yeah, I think I love this this question, Allison. I actually devoted a whole podcast on my self-healer soundboard to resentment because I think it is such a common experience. Yeah. So I think if we really want to simplify it into two steps, the first step, as always will be the case for me, is awareness, coming to consciousness. So even being the person who's like, wow, yes, I'm really resentful of one thing, a million things, my whole life of right. experiences that I'm just carrying with me on my back. So that's a victory to even be aware that we have these resentments because again, so many of us are so unconscious. We're just living on repeat, immersed in our internal world of these resentments that mm. we don't have even that space or that ability to be in observance mm. of because the reality of it is if we're filtering the world through everything that's not being, every need that's not being met, every way you're not showing up for me, which is typically what we do when we're feeling resentful, we're going to really limit ourselves to be able to see anything else in our current experience. So the first step would become aware that I'm carrying resentments from my past. Because when we're engaging our energy in thoughts of what someone didn't do five minutes ago, five years ago, right? Or if we're continuing to focus on what is not present or what need is not being met, that's all energy that we're using. We're focusing on our internal world. We're focusing on things that have already happened that we can't change. So we're not then going to have resources available to, second step, ground us in the present moment, attune to what is here and what choice I now have available given this new information of resentment. Mm. Because if we really want to be something you were talking about earlier on, which is objective, we can use even something that feels so emotional like resentment as objective information. Because if I'm feeling resentful, again, it usually does mean needs haven't been met, right? Limits have been crossed. There's a feeling, emotions contain information based in how we're experiencing our environment. Resentment's a version of anger. Anger usually happens, Mm. again, when our needs aren't consistently met or when we're feeling violated. So if I pull back the judgment, the criticisms, all of the feelings that I shouldn't feel this resentment and just allow that to be information. Now I have something to go on. Mm -hmm. Now I have the reality that in this relationship or maybe in my life in general, if I just am a resentful person, if I come to that awareness, that might be for me with was a big part of my messaging in my twenties when I was sharing Mm -hmm. as I came fainting down and saw all of the different ways I wasn't serving myself. I 
was a resentful person of the world around me, of not considering me and my needs, of this whole, all these relationships I've been in sequentially over time, and yet I haven't been factored in. That was information. Oh, Nicole, you're not having your needs met. Now I can turn the focus and the choice Mm. I can begin to make. Having that awareness now is, okay, Nicole, now I have to factor in myself, my needs. I have to be the spokesperson for me. So to simplify, coming to the awareness, whether it's resentment, anger, sadness, grief, any other feeling that might be very alive for us, then allows us, once we're conscious of it, to distill the information and to gift us then with the opportunity for new choice. Mm -hmm. And my last little pondering with that, if you've done these steps and you're in a healthy place where you feel you can express to another person, you know, I've noticed this and it was building up. And if you're game and if you're willing, it could be supportive of me if moving forward, if you're open to it and it resonates, if if you could stop doing this because it makes me feel a certain way and I'm noticing I'm getting resentful about it or whatever that conversation is. And let's say the person's game, but then they do it again. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you act in this way, it's causing this dynamic and I'm getting resentful when you do this. And They didn't mean to, but just maybe out of their own patterns and and habits, they did the same thing again. Is it just a matter of holding the line as healthily as you can and staying with it and then just healthily, calmly, consciously pointing out like there's that thing again, you know, can we keep working Mm -hmm. on this and just like holding that? I think the empowering shift is when we're communicating. And I'm just having crazy deja vu right now. A side note, I'm just like, it's so strong. I just got the craziest. I don't want to take you out of where you were. So please like put a little pin in that. But in that last, those last few seconds, I have seen, we've done this. We were already here and I'm just kind of tripping out, but continue. I love that. I love that. Thanks. I felt it. I felt that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So in that moment, I think when we're defining and communicating our limits, I think an empowering shift in intention, focus, language, action, what can make space for the future action, which I'll get to in a minute, can be if you, whatever it is, you know, when this thing, because I think sometimes we can, if we avoid you language and communication that will soften the ego, allow us to hear. So the next time this thing happens, whatever it might be, instead of asking or indirectly or directly, you know, kind of urging or suggesting that not to happen, the focus is on less on that, it happening or not, and what will happen next. Next time this thing happens, Mm. I will end the conversation. I will take a walk around the block. I will, Mm. whatever it is I will need to do to regain my safety and security in that moment. Mm -hmm. So then I now, instead of giving the power to you not to do that thing again. So now I'm upset because you're right. This person, that might be their own habit, Mm -hmm. their own safety, their own familiar from their own dysregulated nervous system, right? So we can't, Mm -hmm. again, impact what they will do next, but we can keep ourselves grounded. And that's where this confidence comes in or how we begin to build it. Like we were talking about in the beginning, that space of ourself, right? I can confidently know that I will assess the next time that happens and I will, to speak to your second part of the question, I will then keep myself on this path. I will remove myself, limit. I will do what I say I'm going to do consistently moving into the future now so that ultimately, Allison, you you can keep doing that thing. Mm. And then I will keep doing what I need to do to create safety for Mm -hmm. myself in all of those moments. Bingo. Got it. Thank you. (laughs) It was a nice little full circle journey we just took there.
Hey, beautiful beings. Today's episode is brought to you by an all-time favorite wellness brand of mine, Lotus Way Flower Essences. I've worked with various products by Lotus Way, whether they're delicious elixirs that you put under your tongue, their Aura Mist, bath salts, teas, chocolates, you name it, I have tried them and I truly, truly love them all. I swear by their purity and the amazing healing essences that they hold. And no matter what you're looking to transcend in life or bring into your life, Lotus Way has a flower essence for that. But one all-around winner is their Sacred Heart Essence. You can get it in their anointing oil form, their aura mist form, or their elixir. I have them all. And it's a blend that's infused with nine different flower remedies to soothe your heart so you can surrender into self-love and acceptance during times of transition. How amazing is that? And like I said, there are nine different flowers in this essence. One of them is White Iris for purity, aligning with your highest potential and receiving unexpected blessings and support. And another one of the nine is Vanilla Bog Orchid to relieve tension so you can move with more gentleness and ease. So just head to lotusway.com. That's L-O-T-U-S-W-E-I.com. And this is so important. Don't forget to put the code word mystic in the coupon section at checkout. That's code word mystic, M-Y-S-T-I-C, because that will gift you 15% off anything you purchase. All right, fam, back to this amazing episode. Okay, one thing I'd love to touch on, I know it's going to be a big topic, but I still have four pages of things I want to talk to you about. So I learned in the workbook that it's up until age 25, you know, our brains are still developing. I put this whole paragraph here. I'm just going to go ahead and read it really quick. Up until 25, our brains are still developing. So then I put dot, dot, dot. So I might have like put a paragraph that didn't fully connect, but our home environment and the relationships we experience within that environment actually influence the way our nervous system develops. If our first relationships are safe, secure, and predictable, our nervous system is typically resilient and able to recover from stressful experiences. If our first relationships were not safe, our nervous system becomes hypervigilant, always anticipating danger. Over time, a dysregulated nervous system can pave the way for dysfunctional coping mechanisms, substance abuse, self-sabotage, etc., insecurity, and disconnection. And that was just such a hearty passageway in your book that led me to wanting to ask, and if you already answered this in the healthily working through resentments, let me know so we don't double up on stuff and I can go to a different topic, but healthily dealing with triggers, you know, just staying in this whole like, just, there's just so many people having awakenings right now, I, I, you know, wanting to lean into facing themselves, you know, pain bodies seem to be really activated and there seems to be a, a lot of triggering and sensitivities. So I guess there's a couple of things. How can people healthily begin to know when they're starting to feel a, a trigger or feeling dysregulated and what are a couple of ways if they're willing to recognize that that is happening within themselves, what can they do so that they don't go into a full-fledged projection spewing thing and adding more pain to the world, but take more responsibility and accountability? And yeah, I guess I'll, I'll just stick with the triggering thing. How can people help with their own triggers? Similar to the the two steps, okay. as I'm often talking about change or transforming, I'll break my answers, the protocol, the steps, if you will, into two of them. And they will always be consciousness, become conscious of. So I'll talk a little bit about our nervous system in a minute. And then 
creating space for a new choice, a different action to take instead of relying on those older ways that we use to soothe ourselves. Okay. Because in that, that state, that time period of development, we all have our habitual ways that we've learned or attempted to learn to regulate ourselves when we become activated, when we become stressed, when we become emotionally upset or dysregulated. And what we've typically embodied or began to repeat over time is what worked in that earliest environment or in those earliest relationships without that attunement, that healthy attunement, that healthy nervous system to help us make sense of our emotions, process them, learn adaptive ways to keep ourselves safe. We will always adapt. We will find the way like I did to disconnect, to begin to dissociate or live on my spaceship like I called it. Others will begin to eat, to use substances as a distraction. Sometimes it's the way we show up in our relationships. To avoid a threat entirely, we become a people pleaser, always working to mitigate possible issues. And that becomes our way of being. Because I feel like these passageways that you're, you're giving examples to, it's truly, I call it, you know, like collapsing old paradigm ways. And if you can, holding the line and allowing new portals, new worlds to begin to emerge. But in that doorway, that gateway from the old world, the old paradigm mm -hmm. operational system into the new that space and these examples that you're giving of these ways that got so ingrained in order for us to do this middle space work to let the new world emerge, I think it's the most powerful, potent work that humans can experience. And it takes real, it's a real fine art to be able to cross that threshold and let the new world open as opposed to then just retracting back into old ways. Oh, it's, it's, Allison, it's, it's such a journey yeah. there that creating that ability, I call it that state of consciousness to be that observer, yeah. to see all of the different, right, external, like our perception, how are we taking in the environment around us to turn that spotlight of attention that I call it when we become conscious like the overhead lights on in a room, we are also then gifted with the ability to choose where we turn our spotlight or what we're prioritizing in terms of our attention. So we could, again, see how our body is experiencing or perceiving the world around us. We can turn our spotlight to the internal world of our mind or all of those meanings that mm, I was just describing yes. that we can become very habitual. We tend to narrate our story of life in very habitual ways. Then we can turn that spotlight of attention down to our body and actually tune into the sensations, which are registering, again, how we're making sense of the world and therefore experiencing it, which are then going to impact what we do next, how yes. we try to cope, find regulation, find safety, or how we just are in the world. So while I simplify them into two steps, become conscious and make new choices, that first step, like you're describing, is the meat of the journey, learning how to be in that conscious state of awareness so that, so in those moments of activation, once we can become conscious, we can drop in, feel, tune into my body. The major systems that are impacted when we become stressed are our heart rate, our heart rate. So even think about it when I think the most prototypical example, right, is when we are in fight or flight. There's a, mm. you know, a bear on the plains, the tundras, all of this is really wired into our evolution. What will need to happen? Our first option when there's a threat at hand is to fight it or flee it. When we need to fight 
or flee something, we need to mobilize our energy. So what will happen all outside of our awareness. So we're even registering or perceiving a threat outside of our awareness. And this is how all of this habit and patterns come in. We'll talk about in a second, but we, to, to fight or to flee, to mobilize our action, our heart rate now will start to increase. Mm. So if we, from this conscious state of awareness, if I can attune to the fact that I'm living and I'm a conscious awareness in this beautiful body that has a lot of wisdom, I can notice when my heart rate starts to elevate. Another thing that will happen, a shift or sensational change that we might experience is in our muscles. Mm -hmm. To fight or flee, we need to have our muscles tense, ready to run, to punch, to do whatever action it is. So our musculature will change. Our breath will change too. Similar to our heart rate that quickens when we need to run or fight something to keep ourselves safe. Our, our breath will also mm -hmm. quicken. I notice in me, I constrict and I notice my tone and speaking shifts. Markedly. Absolutely. So that's great. Thank you for sharing. We can all learn what are actually for me, and this beautifully ties everything in, in full circle. It became such a habit for me to protect my heart, not having that emotional safety to open up, to regulate with my parent, my caregiver, my mom in particular. Not only was my muscles constricted at all times, my posture actually I began to have a hunched over. Mm. My mom actually would yell at me, straighten up, stand up straight, as long as I can remember. And again, I just thought I just didn't stand up straight. You know, mm. my mom always, you're a tall girl. Do you not want to be tall? And none of this was the actual reason. The actual reason I've come to find out is this clenching, clenching of my muscles. Actually, my whole structure of my body was in protection of my heart. Mm -hmm. So to speak to, I think, a silent thread through this whole conversation is this embodied way of being that most of us are waking up to or becoming conscious of ourselves and our life is so impacted even down to the way our posture is yeah. because our patterns were so ingrained, so us. I've lived in protection of myself, unable to fight or flee for me, unable to leave my childhood home where there was constant stressors. Before long, I shut down. I did the next thing possible on my nervous system checklist. If right. I can't fight or flee, the only other option we can do is play dead, dissociate, go away on my spaceship. We're in opposition to my muscles become intense and ready. Our breath becomes almost non-noticeable and perceptible. We might be holding our breath. Our muscles might feel completely limp, unable to even get up out of bed, our energy totally listless. We can barely feel our heart beating. Again, all of that is not a signal that, that there's something wrong with us or that maybe we're depressed, like a lot of those symptoms mimic, for many of us, that might mean our nervous system is so shut down. Yeah. So we can come to awareness, tune into our bodies that are registering these sensation changes, then turn that spotlight up to our mind, see the stories that have been spinning through my mind that might've been impacting how I'm perceiving this event. And now we have information mm -hmm. that can allow us to begin to see a doorway open to those new choices. Mm -hmm. And speaking of new choices, I just over this past weekend had a really powerful experience. I mean, I'm always doing the work and always adventuring around and exploring <laughs> around and alchemizing around, but it led me to this woman happened to be in town. I'll just give her a shout out, Dr. Christina Kincaid. I now love this woman. She's amazing. And she happened to be here in Austin. Long story short, I felt in, I felt the call to work with her, having never met her. I, I could tell I was supposed to be there. And in showing up to do this work with a small group of friends and Dr. Christina facilitating, what ended up unexpectedly happening 
Because if you were to go to her website and read the description of her work, you wouldn't necessarily correlate that my end result would be what it was. <laughs> but it ended up in the six hours in a friend's barn where many magical, wondrous things have happened before. <laughs> At the end of this six hours, what ended up happening for me was a complete nervous system reset, specifically around what I alluded to earlier is my acceptance and observation of by me being in my power and in my calling, it eliciting reactions from people. And a number of times those reactions, you know, have not been the most fun to deal with. And in the process of experiencing that over a number of years, it really created a challenging time for me and my own body with my own central nervous system. And I've been working this aspect and healing it for a very, very long time, but it culminated too. I literally had the vision as we were laying there and after this whole activation and all this stuff happened, I saw the vision of like a whirlpool just whirling around in my entire central nervous system and resetting it. And that was after it had taken me to flashes of memories when people were having certain reactions to me. And so I guess my question is, do you have a couple of options and ways, practices that people can do to help reset their nervous systems? Yes. Okay. Uh, absolutely. It's interesting. As you were talking, I was thinking of how ironic and how much I'm relating to sometimes that which we're feeling threatened by is inherently part of us, our gifts, our passion, our purpose. And I'm relating to this having moments in childhood. For me, you know, it was around typically, you know, being being good at sports, excelling at softball. And, you know, instead of being celebrated, I'm having, I have had memories of other, you know, little kids on my early teams being threatened, being mm -hmm. not wanting to go up against me. I was a pitcher. They couldn't, you know, get their at bat in or it didn't feel as, you know, fulfilling for them. And mm -hmm. I actually would feel a lot of shame allowing myself to, to shine in the way that came so natural mm -hmm. to me. And, you know, seeing then all of these tendencies to limit myself, mm -hmm. to squash, not to show up for many different reasons, in addition to the attunement I was talking about earlier. And this being one of them as well, not having the safety to mm. feel and how counterintuitive that can become for us. Now on the other side of that, learning how to return to showing yeah. more fully who I am, understanding and living very many moments, similar to sounds like to you, of not having it received so openly by other people. But to specifically answer your question, there's many things that we can do to ground ourselves to create safety. The actual beginning of my workbook, before I break down the mm -hmm. journey into those three sections, beginning with the body, then to the mental, emotional space, and then finally pulling back that layer to meet our authentic self. Before we do any of that, the whole first initial section, pre-section, we'll call it, of the workbook, yeah. is learning how to create safety I love in that. our body. I noticed you started there and I was so, it made so, so much because sense. Because without safety, and this is how all this connects in, we don't, we can't, this idea, like even we just described, I just described to everyone about how to tune into our body, yeah. how to drop into our sensations for so many of us like me, our body wasn't safe. We're mm -hmm. living on a spaceship. We're living, our autopilot has become so disconnected from our body that some listeners might even hear me saying things like your heart rate's changing, your muscles are changing. And you're like, what do you mean? I'm a balloon. I'm not, I don't have a body below the surface. And mm. so the reality of it for a lot of us is we have to reconnect with our body, create safety in our body to do that. Yes. Our body has to feel like a safe space to want to 
give our attention to it and to be able then to tolerate all of the feelings and energies that we've now accumulated over time living as distracted as we have been. It's been so (laughs) beautiful and cool for Luke and I to witness this exact dynamic you're speaking to by he and I coming together in the sacred union where now after being friends and now married and trusting each other and just loving and holding such good space for each other in such a healthy way on so many different layers, mind, body, spirit, soul, at different times within our own individual selves, we've arrived to places where, oh, because for the first time in my life, I now know I'm in such safe space, like various massive portals of evolution, ascension, expansion, major growth spurts, which to be completely transparent, we're both in, in this exact moment, very much, but I'll let Luke share Mm. when he interviews you, but it's just been, and I guess I'm just sharing the wonders and miracles Mm -hmm. that can happen when our mind, body, spirit, soul knows it's held in safe space. That's where these quantum leaps and massive shifts in evolution can happen. Yeah. When you know you're safe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even again, to to just paint the other more counterintuitive side of that, for most of us where safety, where security, especially in our relationships, isn't familiar, for me included, not having that emotional attunement in the beginning and still in moments now, it is so unfamiliar that something is inherent that we've been talking about as compassion connection, right, is so unfamiliar for so many of us because it's not that space that we're used to being in. So even when presented and me, you know, being in the relationship that I'm in now, you know, being presented with this grounded safety, there's still very much a part of my wounded subconscious space, nervous system reaction all entwined up in it that doesn't believe the safety that's around me and seeing very similar moments of, you know, expansion of new portals and actually mapping this onto you and I were having a conversation before we started recording of our own moving journeys and living my whole life in some version of a city from Philadelphia to New York City to LA. And now I'm in Scottsdale, which is the least of a city that I've ever lived in for so long. For me, I'm seeing again, another shift in my nervous system, another layer of safety now Mm -hmm. environmental because growing up in a city, I was always, there was actually a point of time in my early twenties when I would start to go away for weekend trips with my friends and I like to snowboard. So we would usually end up in a small mountain town that's quiet, shutting off the lights at night that level of darkness, that level of silence, I would carry a sound machine or put my television on. I was so used to the noise, the stress of the dysregulation Mm. of my external and internal environment that I craved it. And now learning how to create safety in my body, spending much more time in my body in a safe way and now having a quieter experience, much less noise, much less sight sounds, I'm actually able to feel comfortable in that safety. And now I'm having that experience that you're describing of having more portals, being able to go a bit Mm -hmm, deeper. mm -hmm. And also I'm seeing the shift in terms of my creativity, Mm -hmm. really beginning to be able to align with my creative flow, not the old, I think, model of nine to five, or you need to be creative during this time when you're working. And that's, I'm learning not how life works. So now finding my rhythm really much. I I think very much is I'm indebted to the calm centered space that I've created, not only in myself, but 
that my environment has allowed for me. Yes, yes. The last little bit that I'll just share because very similar for me, I've noticed that since aligning with Luke in this relationship, such wildly more expansive layers of my divine feminine mm-hmm. has had room to, to communicate to me and to flourish. And, you know, that guitar sitting over there, that's what I spend most of my time doing, uh, or being like when you arrived, I was in the backyard in the hammock and, you know, oftentimes I'll just have cookie laying on my mm-hmm. chest as, as we're back there and, and Luke and I entering into, you know, conscious conception and hopefully starting a family. And so the, the main focuses and pillars and aspects of my life right now, I mean, are so different to the New York City, yeah. you know, whatever, pr- producing, creating, building, empires, grinding, all. It's, it's like such a, almost a 180 from that. And again, I really attribute it to being in safe space. So I could go as far to say just to really quickly add yeah. to that I believe this is the future of how empire, civilization, yes. humanity, you know, I think again, we were trying, this is one of those mismatches that I think comes up often, which is this direction society has taken, especially in these overpopulated cities with these external requirements around productivity and work are very unnatural to our natural rhythm. And I actually do, I'm hopeful for the future that I think with all the different technologies and different ways of working and different emphasis is now worth with more space even being made for creatives and different flows of life. Mm -hmm. I actually am very hopeful for a future that looks different structurally so that it can match a little more with our internal needs. I agree. And episode 78, Mm. nine, something like that is called on ceremony circles, calling all leaders of the new myth with my guest, Christina Marie. And it was two and a half hours devoted to exactly what you just said, this new way that's emerging and us. I'll have to tune in because I'm super interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have you close just doing a brief immersion for everyone. But right before that, I had a few, well, I actually had a lot of listeners questions submitted, but I only put a few on the list and let's just at least do one. So I'll read them and just pick whichever ones give you the most energy spurt. So at Holly Massey was curious, tips for moving through trauma with grace instead of avoiding unresolved trauma surfacing. The second option is Julie Stews. What are the most effective methods for dealing with trauma? Those are similar. And I think we actually might've already covered some of that. Paige Pitchler, tips on setting boundaries around narcissistic family members. And then the last option I put here was from Michelle, how to make the decision to stay or leave someone who has an alcohol addiction. Again, I always preface these listener questions with understanding that you are not sitting with this person. And so it's gotta be a very generalized, whatever, tuning in, so. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I actually- think I can probably speak to all of them grouping one and two and three and four together because they're somewhat similar. Okay. So the first piece in terms of understanding our triggers, I think we talked about that becoming conscious, jumping into our body, seeing again, those adaptations, those habits and patterns. The only way that we at one time were able to create safety in ourselves, maybe it is reflected in our habits, you know, in the way that we're outwardly presenting, you know, being distracted all the time, being disconnected all the time, you know, erupting or exploding emotionally all of the time. And learning how to discern between truth and that narrative or that storyline. Right. Learning how to, to drop in and there's even truth in the narrative. So to get to question one in terms of the grace and compassion, not actually squashing or judging ourselves for having those feelings at all, because 
that narrative, those sensations, what we're feeling and emotion is our reality. Whether or not it's mapping on to objectively what's happening or what they meant or didn't mean, for us, that's real. It's coming mm. from a time and a place. And so many of us have gotten so used to squashing it down, suppressing, distracting, or shaming ourselves. And I think compassion, to answer that question number one, grace comes when we can just pull back and become that observer, right? See those habits and how those habits have once kept us safe. Understanding, I think, allows for a compassion or a grace. And putting a pin real quick, I just last night had that exact experience where I was able to stay present. I, I was feeling um, very emotionally charged and and I was walking around the house just expressing, I feel really angry right now. Oh my gosh, I feel so much rage. What I want to do is throw something and just, it helped me to just mm -hmm. speak out loud where I was at, what I was feeling, what what my body was wanting me to do. And, and then as I was moving through that, then I ended up landing on the couch and and I was like, huh, this is such a small thing, yet I'm having such a large emotional reaction to such a seemingly small thing. That means there's more to this. What is behind this? And as I asked that, it took me to just understanding just sadness. I realized what behind it was sadness. And then all of a sudden I felt my heart open up and I allowed tears to move through and I allowed myself to cry and just put my hand on my heart and to just have more sensitivity for myself and compassion for just like the bigger picture. So anyways, I just had that yes. last night. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that example. And that's a really great time to look is when we're having a very big reaction without yeah. re resisting the urge to shame ourselves, even if that shaming voice is at the ready and seeking to understand. That's why I was being very intentional of not squashing it down, not just being like, oh, this is too big. It's disproportionate, inappropriate. There is an appropriateness. There is a deep sadness, a grief and anger or something. Again, it might not be actually mapped onto what's happening right. now, though the reality of it is still living in our mind and in our bodies. Yeah. And we can, I think, extend into that compassionate space by just understanding why it's there, yeah. right? That it's in protection. Even if you don't like I, don't have the exact memories, don't have the movie screen, don't have exactly where and how it originated, you can gift yourself the compassion that this was your best option. This <laughs> had a function of keeping yourself safe. You might want to make new choices that might change your future outcome, but I think we can be a little less judgmental if mm -hmm. we're able to apply that label of adaptation, you know, helped me, security, and sometimes verbally talking ourselves through it if we have access that part of our brain in that moment is an incredible, helpful way to do You that. guys would have gotten a kick out of if there was a camera inside of our <laughs> house watching me stomp around right. here. I feel, I, feel, I feel a lot of rage right now. What I want to do is throw something, just like talking yes. to myself like that. But yes. it felt really healthy and good. Yes. And it yes. helped me to not actually throw something. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> it is that shift of being able to be in that, right? You're narrating. So you're already a little bit less in it. And more of the conscious observer. Right. You're already a little bit more distanced, able to have now a different op or different outcome yeah. ultimately just to go back to the last two questions yep. too around boundaries yes um, so and important. again I think this maps on to what we were talking about in terms of responsibility whether it's the narcissistic family member the you know someone who's in a cycle of, of substance using that again I believe is their probably best attempt to cope with some deep-rooted wounds and dysregulation in their nervous system codependency which I'm very familiar yes, with absolutely <laughs> you and me both and again conversation still applies is what can I do different mm -hmm. how can I create the space the distance necessary from this narcissistic individual or this individual who's you know engaging in whatever dysfunctional habits that might be creating a lack of safety in myself and 
Again, unfortunately, there is no exact protocol. Like you said, you're even prefaced to these questions. It's about feeling our way to what limits we need. How much space do we need? What do we need to do differently the next time this narcissistic individual says or does whatever it is that they typically say or do, or similarly with this other human stuck in their dysfunctional habits? How can I show up differently is the question and that to lightens, create space. And that lightens it a little bit too, just to kind of move ahead into like, okay, next, not to act like it's turning it into a game, but like, you know, looking ahead and being like, okay, next time if, if they behave in this way, I've got these two potential options of ways where I can show up differently. Let's, let's try one of these two things. And then you try that and you're like, you know what, that worked better than anything before. But the second option that I came up with, I think actually might be the one that's best. And, you know, I feel like it just makes it lighten the load a little bit and turning it more into that curiosity energy and adventure energy of like, okay, I'm going to try this. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to try this. I can apply the same conversation to our emotions too. I mean, I think a lot of us have this idea that into adulthood, we should just know how to deal with sadness or just know how to, like you're walking around the house narrating your anger or your rage the other night, right? We don't just know. If we weren't taught or we didn't have the space to experiment in childhood, chances are, and I speak this from being a doctor of clinical psychology, right? Supposedly learned and tasked in helping other people deal with their emotions. When I disembarked from my spaceship, I realized I had no real other tools to navigate my emotions. Mm-hmm. So I had to get curious. I had to explore, experiment, to use your language, even in terms of my emotions. I had to start to do different things when I felt sad versus when I felt angry and drop in and determine what helps me feel better on the other side. Cause I could sit here and give a suggestion for a nice hot bath when you're say feeling sad or angry and a listener could go take that hot bath next time they're feeling sad or angry and want to jump out of their skin. And that's actually not what's helpful to their bodies in that moment. So yeah. the same attitude, I think of curiosity really applies to our whole journey of returning, of rediscovering, of dropping in to notice what is making, what is taking my body out of that calm state of presence of connectedness, right? And even hearing those words for some listeners might be like, what do you mean calm connectedness, presence? I don't feel that ever, right? That usually is an indicator that our nervous system is one of those states of activation or we're being triggered. Like those first two questions we're asking about dropping in, what's happening to me? When am I being activated? Am I always activated? Mm -hmm. How can I find that safety and when we end in a few minutes, one of the, the exercise I will take us through is a dropping in, in addition to the workbook, which has a million different ways to ground, yeah. to find presence. I can take us through a breath-based one right here, right now, Great. in terms of attuning to our body, to what state our nervous system may be in, and to bringing it back into that state of calm, which for some listeners might be one of the few moments today that they gift their body with that calm state of presence well, and safety. Well, let's let's go ahead and do that. And and like she just said, I can't wait to get the physical copy. Um, we just have the PDF so far, but even and scanning all the way through that, I, I and even all mm-hmm. the many years of devoting to facing myself, shadow work, and all the things you did an incredible job with this workbook. And I made me even excited to go through and do all the exercises because there, I can just tell, I could even feel, even as I was scanning through some sections, I was like, oh, there's something in there for me. And you know yeah. what I mean? So it's very potent and I'm excited to experience. And as I always say, before we close ceremony circle with these immersive rituals and practices, chances are if you're driving, 
best to pause, come back to this when you're at home and in a safe space. Absolutely. And thank you for that feedback. It's always such an interesting place to be waiting for the actual book or workbook to be printed in real life form, see it here, how everyone is receiving it. It was really exciting and interesting for me to think about a comprehensive journey, how to speak about it, how to translate it, that bridge that we were talking about, and then how to put that into different exercises that I do hope excite people just as much as they excite you. And honestly, I hope the book, much similar to how to do the work, is a book that people live with, a workbook that you can kind of tuck away, revisit at different parts of your yeah. life. Because I think one of the, another theme that keeps coming through our conversation here is how this is a life journey. Life school ends when we're no longer in this part of our of our energetic journey. So ultimately it doesn't end. And my hope is that the workbook gives that guidance, that roadmap that can be returned to when we need it. Yeah, you did quite, in my humble opinion, a very masterful job Thank at you. bringing it all together. Because it's a big... It's a lot of massive subject matter, yet it's super clear and digestible. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So with all this talk of consciousness, <laughs> the body, nervous system, I thought it would be really helpful just to take us through a quick exercise right here, right now in reconnecting with our physical self and hopefully give us some tools and some guidance to continue to use this incredible tool. So Taking a moment now to make yourself comfortable, whether you're sitting, laying, wherever you might be in the world right now, in your space, just taking a moment to feel yourself settle in and to turn your attention from all of the places that it might be, all of the distractions in your external environment, and just turn your attention first now to your physical body. Feel your legs, your body against the chair, the earth, the bed. If you feel comfortable, some of you might choose, if it's safe, of course, to do so, to gently close your eyes, helping you turn your attention a bit more inward. And now we're going to take a nice deep breath. We're going to breathe the air through our nose down deeply into our belly. Some of you might choose to place a hand on your belly so that you can feel it inflate as we're gonna breathe in deeply now. Pulling all of that nice air deep into our belly. And then take a nice, slow, deep exhale. As you're feeling Your body maybe begin to settle a bit more, maybe relaxing a bit more into this moment. I want you to just take a nice quick scan, starting with the top of your head, traveling all the way down to the tips of your toes. Just spent a moment now to just simply notice. Notice any areas where you might be carrying tension where your muscles might feel constricted or tight, maybe in your jaw, your neck, your upper or your lower back, your legs. Just simply noticing any areas of tension from the top of your head to the tips of your toes.
assuming many of you will probably notice an area where you're holding some tension. We're going to now practice releasing. So going back, returning to that deep belly breathing with the hand on your belly if you so choose. Spend the next moment or two as you calmly and deeply breathe, release into those areas of tension in your body. Gradually feeling the tension in your jaw loosen. Maybe feeling your shoulders roll more easefully down and back. Maybe feeling your breathing become a little less constricted as all of the muscles in your lower back, your mid-back, begin to loosen, to relax. Feeling your legs become a little heavier and your body fully being supported by the earth, the ground beneath you. Spend a moment now to register the shifts, the changes in your tension, in your breathing, and in your overall awareness of your body. As you feel ready, those of you of your eyes closed, begin to gently open them back up, expanding your attention now a little more fully outward, returning more presently to the room around you, the sensations, the sounds, the sights. The doggy on your lap. The doggy on your lap. She that loves ceremony circle times. It's so interesting. Speaking of that, I notice I have kittens, cats at home, and I think animals can be a really big energetic indicator. I have a particular cat who always notices when I'm upset, crying, or agitated emotionally, and will always make his way, put his little nose up on my face. Mm. Similarly, when I've done any sort of breath work or meditation in a room with them you notice just the calmness yeah. about animals kids and that practice though that I took us through I know a little bit quickly but my hope there was to really highlight first the practice of that consciousness all the different ways we can attune outwardly to our senses inwardly to our sensations to our breath what's happening I thought it was helpful to give a, a point of contrast of that calm easy feeling the release in our muscles, especially for those of us who are always feeling that tightness, that constriction. For a lot of us, it's really learning to practice that embodiment of peace. And for a lot of us, that begins with even showing mm -hmm. ourselves by contrast, I think, what it is to be in a, a calm body mm -hmm. and then practicing that as many moments as we ultimately can, learning how to use our breath to control our body's activation and our nervous system. Yeah, no, that was powerful. I love... I love anything that is simple, brief, yet potent and can create a true shift because oftentimes people don't even know that they've been in an ongoing state of a certain emotional addiction or a physical sensation 
because it's just been so normalized. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I feel like that practice opens you up to notice. And I was very clear. It was actually more my brain that was mm -hmm. holding the, the constricted, denser energetics. So I just allowed my brain to, to open up and soften, which allowed me to drop more fully into my body. So yeah, I felt a big shift in that. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that experience. I think a lot of us will feel that energy constricted in our mind, the racing yes. thoughts, I think that often produce that and learning how to remove our focus from that, allow that tension, like you beautifully described to dissolve. And I too am a big fan of the back pocket, as I call them tools, because practices where we carve the time and space, however many minutes away can be so empowering, can be part of our foundation, yeah. but it's in these daily moments where all of these habits and patterns, these stories, our subconscious is coloring our experiences and our nervous dysregulation is oftentimes controlling our reaction. So while these private, quiet moments where I think a lot of us traditionally meditate or do breath work or, you know, do this work of healing, my suggestion always is to commute those tools, to use those throughout our day and to think about how to break these practices down into bite-sized ones that we can revisit throughout our day, because that's the moments where we want to retain that conscious state to be able to give ourselves those opportunities for new choices. Mm -hmm. Here's to, if you resonate and feel <laughs> called to allowing yourself to be consciously aware, grow in that conscious awareness, to be aware of where those gateways and threshold places are for you to allow any old portals and paradigms that have run their course and done what they needed to do, be released with honor and for you to hold the line bravely, courageously, gracefully forward to allow a new world, a new portal, new paradigm for you and your life to emerge. Ah, and Nicole's book will show you how to do that. So pick up <laughs> how to meet yourself. Where can they find it? How can they find you? Although I'm sure pretty much everyone listening will already follows you, but let them know. If you're not yet following me on Instagram, which is the place where this whole journey began, wow. I can be found at the.holistic.psychologist. At this point in the journey, we've pretty much expanded to all of the platforms, whether it's TikTok or YouTube. We have accounts, the holistic psychologist across all of them. The new workbook has its own Instagram account, how to meet yourself workbook on Instagram. You can type that into the search bar and to get a copy of the book pretty much anywhere major books are sold, are retailed both here in the States and in select countries abroad. Though my hope is in the next couple months that I'll continue to get word from the publisher on any international translations, mm -hmm. understanding that a lot of the community is international and would like those translations. So come follow me on all the social media platforms. Yeah. Come follow me on my website where you can sign up with my e to my email list to keep updated at okay. theholisticpsychologist.com. I have not done that yet, so I, I'll do that. That'll be my homework, and I'll put everything she just said in the show notes and, of course, in the weekly Instagram posts when these new episodes come out every Tuesday. Thank you, Soul Fam, for sitting around this really beautiful, potent fire with Nicole and I, and we will sit with you again next time. Woo-wee, what a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. 
And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.